disappointment to your family's name because it's time for Grain of Truth. Please welcome your host, David Innes. Hello and welcome to Grain of Truth, uh, where the truth just doesn't call anymore. Uh, uh, Your grains of truth today... Frustrated wine merchants will often bottle their feelings. (laughs) Firefighters' jackets are called blazers. A coffee machine can perform magic tricks with its steam wand. (laughs) That's a very middle class joke, I think. (laughs) And the apprentice dentist quit. Because he couldn't handle the tooth. Goodbye, Liam. Liam's left. That's how bad. To introduce our panelists for the episode, it's over to our resident scorekeepers, the Boffins. Thank you, David. From RMIT University, representing performing arts, it's Stacey Taylor. From the University of Melbourne, representing mathematics, it's Roland Lewis. From RMIT University, again representing anthropology, it's Claire Callow. And from Deakin University, representing classic film, it's Liam Amor. The rules of Grand Truth are simple. Points are awarded to the panellists for their responses to the ridiculously absurd questions, scenarios and topics that I pose. Whoever has the most points wins the coveted Grain of Truth prize, which this week is breakfast in bed. Whose bed? In your bed? It'll be in yours. <laughs> it's, it's not on a tray or anything, so, so you might need to change the sheets. Will all of them be in Claire's bed? <laughs> No, no, it's it's it's, it's a pretty good bit. <laughs> Look, to you be know, honest, they don't require that much thinking. It's a piece of paper, all right. <laughs> so breakfast is just a piece of paper. Yeah, that's. <laughs> You've revealed the truth behind all of these prizes, David. <laughs> oh no, no, no that was that one time you actually got a potato. I still have that potato. Do you really? <laughs> I treasure it. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, uh, now, before we begin the p- quiz, here's a small challenge for everybody. Can you name the grain of truth that connects all four of our panellists' topics? That's performing arts, mathematics, anthropology, and classic film. And we'll come to the answer at the end. But I will give you a clue. Popular 60s art. Popular Ooh. 60s art is our clue. But we'll start with round one, which is called Right Said Ted. Each panellist must deliver a 90-second TED-style presentation relating to a theme. At 60 seconds, they'll hear this noise, and at the 90-second mark, they'll hear this noise, at which they must wrap up their talk. Whoever uses their special skills to present on the theme the best gets the points. The theme of this TED presentation is mothers, grandmothers, and aunts. Uh, So we'll start with Stacey Taylor, representing Performing Arts, uh, talking about the topic of mothers, grandmothers, and aunts. Stacey, your time starts now. Correct. So the... (laughs) Indeed. So the overbearing mother, such a well-worn sitcom trope that now we just accept her as part of the genre, like misunderstandings or clip shows or the laughter of a studio audience that may or may not be actually present or the inevitable guest appearance of Betty White. Now discerning listeners will realise I just broke the comedy rule of three. I squeezed a fourth example into my list of examples and I will continue these subversive tactics because I'm a law-breaking fool. <laughs> but the mothers on sitcoms, they used to be predictably, 
pictures of banal benevolence, your Carol Brady's and your Marion Cunningham's, and next minute, formidable creatures emerged, such as Marie Barone from Everybody Loves Raymond, Helen Seinfeld and Estelle Costanza, Two and a Half Men's Evelyn Harper, 30 Rocks Colleen Donaghy, and I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I will because I am woman, hear me nag. <laughs> The cliched sitcom mother is a buzzkiller at best. She's a monster at worst. She functions as a sadistic obstacle to male pleasure, either with her smothering overprotectiveness or out-and-out pussy-whipping, whereby our poor, hard-done-by hero can't play poker with the boys or watch the game or flirt with attractive women half his age and out of his league. So while these poor saps cry all the way to their workplaces where they'll earn approximately 17.1% more than their female counterparts, I would like to suggest a new sitcom trope. The passive-aggressive second cousin. <laughs> come on, we all know them. We can all relate. They're the ones that come by your house and disrupt your plans and start moping around and saying, oh, I suppose you'd help me out if I was your first cousin, but yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and whilst it's true that my hilarious pilot working title, My Second Cousin Vinny, hasn't been picked up, I think that I'm ahead of my time and this is the trope of the future. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, Stacey, has yes. a mother, grandmother or aunt ever been to one of your theatre shows and given feedback at all from there? Oh, no, there was an extremely loyal time back in the day when they'd show up at everything, but I was quite prolific in my uh, 20s and 30s, and in the end they just went, bugger it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, life's too short to spend every waking Friday, Saturday, Sometimes Thursday, occasionally Sunday afternoon, going to see you show off. We had enough of that in your childhood. <laughs> How about you, Roland? Did, uh, has uh, Mumsy ever been, uh, or grandmother or aunt ever been at your theatre shows or anything? My mum's here right now. <laughs> oh, really? Hi, mum. Oh. I'm just oh. going to leave it at that. <laughs> oh, there we go. You win. <laughs> uh, how about you, Claire? Have you ever had uh, any relatives or anything having to come to your shows? I have indeed, and the most memorable one is when I was in uh, Who's Afraid of the Working Class playing a prostitute who had to strip down to her scanties and hurl racial abuse at a uh, black man. And my mum, dad, mother-in-law and father-in-law were front row centre. Oh. So they saw just about everything of me it was possible to see. It was great. <laughs> to next speak on the topic of mothers, grandmothers and aunts is uh, Roland Lewis representing mathematics. Roland, your time starts now. Uh, thank you, David. Well, it's very clear from the outset that this is actually an algebraic expression. Right. Um, now, with, within algebra, certain uh, conjunctions can be attributed to uh, operations, um, of can be attributed to, uh, to multiplication and to addition. So um, what I've broken it down to is it's clearly mul mothers multiplied by grandmothers plus aunts <laughs> equals something. So um, if we put it into a simple algebraic expression, A multiplied by XA plus B equals C. Now, um, I, I, I grouped it like that because mothers are a like term, but the term <laughs> grandmother is clearly an integer, integer so I <laughs> indicating the level of mother reached. You know, one, one, one mother would just be a mother, a two-times mother would be a grandmother, a, a three-times mother would be a great-grandmother, obviously. Um, whereas an aunt is not a like term because if they had a child, they'd be grouped as a mother. So uh, aunt is clearly a female relative of equal standing with no children. Um, so uh, clearly what you wanted me to do was solve this equation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so... So we say grandmother multiplied by mother plus aunt equals C. Um, now, grandmothers, uh, that, that, we'll break it down to grandmother squared uh, equals C minus aunt. Um, now, we need, we need to look at what aunts are. They're ladies without children, so we're looking at different levels of mother is equal to um, something with aunts removed, yeah? 
So if we subtract C from both sides, we look at the grandmother squared minus C equals aunts. And what is an aunt? An aunt is a mother without a child. So therefore, C must equal child. The answer is child. Ladies and gentlemen, Fantastic. Uh, that was a five-mark question. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, but you didn't show all of your working out, so I'm going to give you four out of the five. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's true. Um, uh, Roland, did any of your mother's, grandmother's, aunts ever uh, help you with your childhood homework at all? Or did you have a relative that was helping you with homework? At, uh... Yes, my mother often helped me with all of my homework. <laughs> she was an excellent mother and was always excellent in all of her help. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, did anyone else have uh, really helpful relatives or things in childhood homework times when you were going through school? Well, kind of. Um, when I get a difficult assignment, I'd often sort of go, please, God, or someone up there, help me. And considering both my grandmothers were dead, mm. they were the most likely to give me any help. Oh, that, that's <laughs> handy to know. Fantastic. I, uh, I just put that equation through my uh, calculator, and if you turn it upside down, it says boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Partial credit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our next speaker is Claire Keller, representing Anthropology, to present on the theme of mothers, grandmothers and aunts. Claire, your time starts now. Well, today I'd like to talk about the grandmother hypothesis. This is an uh, anthropo anthropological hypothesis that while mothers are responsible for people living, and uh, if you don't know how this works, I'll just reference you to vaginas, um, <laughs> grandmothers are actually the reason we live so long. Um, this is because they also invented menopause. So basically what happened was they decided enough of this having babies nonsense, I'm going to stop and actually concentrate on raising the kids I have. And um, that resulted in them being lo uh, living longer because people, you know, parents, they'll actually look after someone who's willing to look after their kids for them. <laughs> um, so uh, ladies, old ladies you really only have yourselves to blame when it comes to how old you live to, how wrinkly you get, uh, you decided it. Um, I'd also like to mention aunts, which um, this one hasn't been addressed by anthropology. They're often lumped in with mothers, but I would argue that they serve a very important and separate anthropological purpose. Uh, for example, I have extensive experience in aunting. I have 12 nieces and nephews, and my specialty has always been in scaring the living crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Without such auntly manoeuvres, I argue, we wouldn't have the levels of mental illness that's necessary to maintain such a creative culture as we have. <laughs> so um, I would argue that we have aunts to thank for that. Word. Uh, I, you're, you are an aunt. I'm also an uncle as well. I'm not, I'm not neither parent or a grandmother. Um, but what do you think is uh, some of the ultimate characteristics? What would be the characteristics of the ultimate aunt? What do you think, Claire? Oh, the ultimate aunt. The ultimate aunt, I would argue, is the person who is the first person to get them so special drunk they can't walk properly. Um, the first person to point out what a prostitute looks like. <laughs> 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 and
and the first person to kick them out of the house when they've slept on the couch for more than six months. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, well, our final speaker is Liam Amor, representing Classic Film, to present on the theme of mothers, grandmothers and aunts. Liam, your time starts now. Uh, I'd like to take two uh, pseudo-mothers from Classic Films and mash them up, if I may. This is titled, The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Psycho. <laughs> Fade in, Julie Andrews is kneeling beside her prison bed. <laughs> Dear Father, now I know why you've sent me here to help these children prepare themselves for a new mother. And I pray that this will become a happy family in thy sight. God bless the captain. God bless Liesel and Frederick. God bless Louisa, Bridget, Bridgeta, Marta, and little Greta. Oh, and I forget the other one. What's his name? Well, God, whatever his name is. <laughs> they pulled him away now, as I should have years ago. He was always bad, and in the end, he intended to tell them I killed those girls and that man... As if I could do anything except just sit here and, and stare like one of his stuffed birds. <laughs> God bless the Reverend Mother and Sister Margareta and everybody else at the Nunnenberg Abbey. And now, dear God, about Liesel. Help her know that I'm her friend and help her to tell me what she's been up to. I mean, I'll just sit here and be quiet just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of person I am. Shh. Help me to understand so that I may guide her footsteps. I'm not even going to swat that fly. <laughs> I hope they're watching They'll see They'll see and they'll know And they'll say Why she wouldn't even harm a fly Well in the name of the Father The Son and the Holy Ghost Nor men <laughs> <laughs> Very nice uh, I in my experience Have been subjected to The grandmotherly Or dare I say The aunterly ramble uh, what are some of your strategies to escape from rambles, especially of relatives and things like that, Liam? Uh, arson. <laughs> <laughs> just set a doily on fire or, 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 or just something. Or just start discussing your latest sexual conquest. <laughs> I mean, that's always good. That's that nice. Yeah. Uh, it's only bad if they start joining in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stacey, have you ever had to escape from uh, relative rambling? No, but off topic, I once convinced my youngest nephew that he used to be made of wool. He used to be made of wool. How did you convince your nephew that, you, that he was made of wool? There was a picture of um, his two older brothers holding. Um, you know that um, you can, like, knit an entire doll, and my mother had done it into, um, you know, a, a human shape with um, their favourite uh, rugby team strip. And I went, so that's Bart, and that's Joey, and that's you. <laughs> And um, which I thought was hilarious, but um, he was quite disturbed. And, um, and his parents, who usually kind of go, "Yeah, go for it. You're the auntie doing things." As Claire points out, you know, a sort of um, to the left of um, normal parenting, we're cross because <laughs> he was traumatised. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh... I just like the idea of just this suddenly just this worry, this epic worry about uh, uh, being made entirely out of wool and then having to go into the wash. I imagine that's <laughs> the worst. Oh. Uh, well, that's the end of the round. It's time for a score update from the Boffins. Boffins. Thank you, David. According to the Grain of Truth 80s sitcom, Stacey Taylor is in the lead by being the funny one. <laughs> oh, yeah. The next round is the analysis and application round. Our panel is divided in teams of two and must apply their skills to an application task. Uh, we'll start with Stacey and Roland. 
Alrighty. Good. I want you to tell me a little bit more about these little-known historical scandals. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So the first one that you might not be familiar with, but will be explanation, is the Great Gravy Boat Scandal of 1911. Uh, now, that was outrageous. Yeah, contrary to uh, what people would go to and think about first, is the Gravy Boat was actually a boat. Absolutely. Um, it was a boat that was built by the British Empire um, and it was designed to take gravy from England <laughs> over to India, which they were colonising at the time. Indeed. Uh, where they didn't have any uh, uh, gravy. They just had these spices that made things unbearable to, to eat. So when there was mutiny on the gravy boat and uh, all, all the colonial English people were sitting there with their mashed potatoes, with their mushy peas... Drinking their cups of tea, but what was missing? The gravy. Thank and it you. was the first ever gravy spill. Oh, wow. Um, it it took, took years and years and lots of Mexicans to clean up. Um, <laughs> In India. Lots of... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they had to import the Mexicans. Oh, I see. Um, at lots, of, lots of penguins. Hugely expensive for the crown. Yeah, they were covered in... Uh, penguins were covered in gravy. Um, they were being, penguins! They were being eaten by seals with, um, with napkins tucked in and little bow ties. Um, it was only good for the seals, yeah. actually. Um, the seals called that the halcyon days. Terribly scandalous. <laughs> Few uh, people know that Mexicans are the most absorbent <laughs> of all the human people. <laughs> well, clearly the British colonialists knew that. That's yeah. right. They needed them to clean up the gravy. Uh, uh, <laughs> scandal. Uh, in 1983, there was the great polyester scandal. What was that? Uh, well, that, this actually, again... You think it would be the fabric, and we were about to tell some sort of flammable story, but no, Polly Esther was a person, and she was a badass. Yeah, uh, she was a politician. Um, she was she was minister in charge of awesome dancing. Then she got cold feet, literally and metaphorically. And the frostbite in her feet made them fall off. And uh, she couldn't actually do any of the dancing. And, but um, her ego kicked in, so she tried to on her bleeding stumps. Yeah. Scandalous. <laughs> Very scandalous. And finally, what about that great, in 1992, the, that great Lamington scandal? What was the Lamington scandal about? Oh, Roland was involved. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I was just, look, I was just on my walk home from school. I was 12 at the time. And um, there was a world's biggest uh, lamington competition happening just outside Our Lady of Good Counsel Primary School. And I, I, j- I couldn't help myself. I just had to have a bite. Um, and everyone knows that a, the world's biggest lamington has to be an entire lamington, uh, you know, full and you know, fully formed, um, a perfect cube. And worse, it was only one bite bigger than the previous record holder. So even though they couldn't officially measure it, it was exactly the same size as the previous record holder. I apologise. So you should. Ladies and gentlemen, Stacey and Roland! Uh, uh, Claire and Liam, I challenge you to tell me what the new term for these older scientific words are. So as science changes, so does the way things are described. For instance, acetic acid is now ethanoic acid, uh, windpipe trachea and so on. Or trachea, I suppose it would be referred to as. So your terms, I need to know what the new version of these old terms are. So what are the flapjacks? (laughs) Well, this is a sensitive issue um, because... 
the original term comes from the days when they used to have to flatten the tarmac on roads by, by hand and foot, mm. and occasionally um, one of the implements they would use would actually um, flatten parts of a person's body. So um, they'd call them flapjacks because they, you know, jack, another word for man, and flap for the way their little tiny flappy arms would just wave around uselessly afterwards. Um, so these days, the politically correct term is actually disabled worker. <laughs> <laughs> or you could call them flapjacks if you're cruel, but fine, go way ahead. <laughs> uh, can you tell me what the Johnson's boob was? Johnson's boob was... Or uh, what is now? What it is now, well, yes. What it is now, of course, is... Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's ti- titanium. <laughs> it's titanium. <laughs> it's exactly yes. what it is now. Oh, yeah. So why was it called Johnson's boob then? Uh, oh, it was a crueler time. And, um, uh, because uh, Lieutenant Colonel Johnson, mm. um, he, he, he was, was a lieutenant colonel, all right, and mm. he needed body armour. Yeah. Um, was in the but Navy. he was in the Navy, and naval men... Had his know, tit have, blown off. Yes, they have weird ideas. And, you know, a man gets lonely at sea, and sometimes his body armour takes on unusual shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they only they have first, one moulding. Yes, exactly. So when they first um, moulded his armour, it had a memory-ish... <laughs> Look about it. Uh, cruel people called it Johnson's boob, but these days we just flat out call it titanium. titanium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Clara and Liam. Uh, and now it's o- that's the end of the round. So now it's over to the boffins for a score update. Boffins. Thank you, Dave. According to the Grain of Truth end of year exam, Roland has taken the lead by showing correct working. The next round is called Stumble, Mumble or Bumble. I'll be assigning a topic for each player and they must speak for 45 seconds without stumbling, mumbling or bumbling. And should they do this, the other members of the panel are urged to ding in and to take over the topic because whoever is speaking at the end of the time is the one who gets the points. They may repeat the topic however much they would like. Uh, So we'll start with Stacey. Yes. And your topic is what I'd like for dessert. So that's the topic is what I'd like for dessert. Your 45 seconds starts now. I'm partial to a lemon tart. I like the citrusy taste. I like the shortness of a pastry. I recently saw on a cooking show that cannot be named for copyright reason a disastrous (laughs) lemon tart. It was terrible. It had to be deconstructed, but nobody was buying that excuse. It was but a smear of curd on a white plate and some crumb of pastry that had failed. I was disgusted in the name of lemon tarts because they are one of the finest desserts because they almost cleanse the palate whilst also feeding that sweetness into your life that one needs when one is eating dessert because it's actually a substitute for the love you never had as a child. And that's why dessert is so important. It is important because if it wasn't for dessert, then we would all be floating. And that's the end of time! Well done! (laughs) (laughs) Neri, 
Mary a stumble, a bumble, or a mumble. Oh, that's right. Uh, feel free to also <laughs> involve rambling as well. <laughs> well also, uh, but yes, well, we can't all be waiting for, we'll go for 45 seconds, so make sure your fingers are on your, uh, on your bells. I just sort of hypnotise them. <laughs> well, that's that, your voice was able to do that very well. Uh, Roland, you are next. No pressure. No pressure. Uh, for 45 seconds, you need to talk about at the bottom of my garden. That is your topic. So at the bottom of my garden, Roland, your time starts now. At the bottom of my garden is a pile of concrete that I dug up from the step that was coming out of the back of my house. I used a... a, a oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, Claire was first. What was the interruption for? A, 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 a. Oh, that's very good. It was a stumble. The, uh, so you still got another something seconds to go. There's only seven seconds have passed, so remaining time. Continuing with Claire. Uh, at the bottom of my garden... I used a sledgehammer to decimate all the gnomes that were sitting around because I hate gnomes. They're quite ugly and they always look like they're about to do something awful to you, like they're ganging up in a murderous rampage. They're going to sneak up through your windows at night and stand around you. Oh, yes. Hesitation. There was a hesitation. There was a stumbling there. Uh, 25 seconds have passed. We've got another 20 seconds. Uh, Continuing on, Stacey. So gnomes should be banned for that very reason. They may come alive and they may murder you, said no one ever. Gnomes are benign. They're made of concrete. They sit at the bottom of their garden and they give me pleasure. Sometimes... Oh, uh, what's, what's the interruption for? Gnomes give no one pleasure. <laughs> That's true. I will move it on. Uh, uh, Claire, you've got nine seconds to go. Gnomes give no one pleasure because they're painted little pieces of concrete. Oh, Ooh, slight hesitation there. <laughs> we are, yeah, there is a slight hesitation, that's true. It's you've cut you've yeah. got You've got three seconds to go, Roland, uh, going now. Gnomes give no one pleasure because gnomes know everything. They see into your soul and they break you apart. And that's the end of time, Roland! <laughs> so, Roland was at the end of time, he gets the points there, and now... Uh, uh, Claire, uh, Claire, your uh, your topic is the barista in my cafe. That's the topic. The barista in my cafe. Your forty-five seconds start now. The barista in my cafe is a short, heavy-set man. He has a long beard. No, just please. Oh, there's a hesitation there. Uh, uh, giggling. giggling. That's right. Uh, Liam, uh, six seconds have passed, so keep going on the barista in my cafe. He makes a mean macchiato. He also can do a ristretto. He also can do what the hipsters like, which is something called magic. <laughs> He, take- oh, yes. he, he breathed too much then. <laughs> fair enough. So that's a fair call. Fair call. Uh, too much breathing. Uh, Roland, you take over from the barista in my cafe. Continuing on, Roland. He delivers me the caffeine that my body needs to substantiate itself for the rest of the day. He looks at oh, me. Oh, yes, uh, Claire? Incorrect use of substantiate. I'm so glad you did. Yes, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that was brought in. With uh, You have got... 20- I'm here representing maths, okay? <laughs> <laughs> You should get your terms correct then. Uh, We've got 21 seconds continuing on, Claire, on the barista in my cafe. But the barista in my cafe is nothing compared to the barista in my closet. I found him in Sydney one day and he was just such a handsome little thing. I just couldn't resist packing him in my bag and taking him home and releasing him into the wilds of my very small wardrobe. And he seems quite happy when I open the door. He says, please, please, please. And that's the end of time! Well, that's the end of time! We were just too scared to dig in then. 
for the truth that is revealed. To the closet with you. All your, bar- all your baristas are short, heavy set men. <laughs> uh, uh, Liam, you'll be studying yes. the next one, and your topic is lessons I learned from film. So your one topic thing you should film. always remember. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. The time hasn't started yet. But some, some decorum, please. Um, I love the fact that my tapping of my pen somehow gives me more authority. There we go. Um, (laughs) Lessons I learned from film. Liam, your time starts now. When walking through jungle temples, be aware of light traps. (laughs) Also, if there's a pit, it's bound to be bottomless. (laughs) Never, ever. Oh, yes. Indiana Jones features pits filled with snakes. That's true, and they did have indeed bottoms. Uh, (coughs) Technicality, that was a well. Moving on! uh, I'm sorry. We are all about technicalities in this game. I will give that back to Liam. Uh, The lessons I learned from film. If you are featured in black and white, it is okay to smoke a cigarette. And you may put it out as soon as you have lit it. As long as the ashtray is porcelain and you are within 20 feet of Bette Davis. Oh, yes. Uh, Pompous over-enunciating. Uh, yes, that is true. That well, that would cancel out this whole freaking show, wouldn't it? <laughs> 20 seconds. Uh, 20 more seconds to go. Continuing with uh, Stacy. lessons I learned from film. I have learnt that I'm more likely... Oh, petty revenge. (laughs) 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 uh, I'll have none of that on this program. Continue on. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I did forget. I did forget from last year the rule that... (laughs) Sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, okay, okay, I did forget, of course, from last year, in the May recording of last year, there was a stipulated rule that our pantomime audiences can therefore uh, change the audience, uh, the panel hosts uh, ruling for only once, and I will allow this, uh, Liam, you will accept uh, Petty Revenge. With uh, 20, uh, 19 more seconds to go, carrying on Liam on the lessons I learned from film. Go. No matter how many times he bangs his gavel on the bench, a judge will not overrule a rowdy audience. <laughs> oh, yes. Go on. Uh, what was the reason for that? Uh, sexual imagery. <laughs> Banging his gavel on the bench. With eight more seconds to go, Claire, what the lessons you have learned from film? The lesson I have learned from film is never trust Woody Harrelson at the end of the world, but always trust John Cusack because he can drive like a mofo. And that's the end of time! Well, that's the Well, that's the end of the round, so it's now over to the Boffins for a score update. Boffins! Thank you, David. According to the Grain of Truth family tree, Claire has taken the lead by growing the juiciest fruit. Could have been, that could have gone so bad. <laughs> Four misses. Um, <laughs> before we find out who won today's show, it's now time to reveal the answer to our Grain of Truth Connection Challenge. Firstly, did anyone on the panel get the connection between your topics? It's performing arts, mathematics, anthropology, and classic film. And the clue was 60s popular art or popular 60s art. Did anyone get an idea? No, it's it, something. Yeah, or... It has to be... Andy Warhol, mm. because everything related to art 
is Andy Warhol. <laughs> Um, One mark. <laughs> it's a can of soup because it was a kind of performing art, uh, the Campbell's tomato soup. It was a protest against art itself. Um, it was related to science because he had to use chemical compounds to paint it. It was anthropologically related because... Uh, it was an advance in mankind's development when we learned how to can things and it was related to film because you store film in cans. <laughs> <laughs> well, give a round of applause. Very good, everybody. The connection I had was satire was the connection that I had. Uh, as anthro- oh, You, you let Claire all... believe that the Warholian... Um, uh, trail was going to lead to a Warholian end. Uh, no, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> also, I'm terribly sorry that I disappointed the audience. <laughs> oh, it was satire. Also, can explain I, can this I point out link? the link between all the panellists is satire. Duh. <laughs> yeah, they're all on brain of truth. <laughs> <laughs> and as anthropology is a study of humankind, satire is the study of the stupidity of humankind, ah. particularly authority figures. And satire was particularly huge in the 1960s. Uh, one of the plays, uh, performing arts, that is credited for giving rise to the popularity of satire in the 1960 UK was, of course, the play Beyond the Fringe, featuring Alan Bennett, Dudley Moore, Peter Cook, and Jonathan Miller. Uh, Tom Lehrer was a, n- a notable musical satirist in that time, uh, with such songs as the Vatican Rag and National Brotherhood Week, but he was, of course, a mathematician, and he still lectures to this day at Harvard as well, so he's about a million years old, and he's still alive. He is best known for most people will know him because he wrote the Element Song, which I think has become Daniel Radcliffe's latest party trick. Uh, But there have been many films... Uh, satirising the events of the time. and uh, The most famous include Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator, Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove and Kevin Smith's Dogma. That is the connection challenge uh, uh, connected there. Was that okay in it the was, end? It was marvellous. It was terrific. So, Boffins, could you please determine from your working out who has won the breakfast in bed? We can, David. Our overall winner today is Roland Lewis. Oh. Thank you, thank you. Claire, I'll be seeing you in your bed later uh. for breakfast. <laughs> Is that, that's how it works, yeah? Didn't we establish this at the start? No, I thought it was individual beds. At, uh... oh, that's just paper for breakfast. <laughs> that's right. It was. T- <laughs> well, that's the end of the program, and I hope you enjoyed it. You come and see the recording of the first day of the month at 1pm at the Wesleyan. Our website is www.greatertruth.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash greatertruth show, and on Twitter at greatertruths. And that leads me to thank our panel, Stacey Taylor, Roller Lewis, Claire Keller, Liam Amor, our boffin of the week, Brendan Jelly, our composer, Matthew Headcraft, arranged by Michael Bell in the Orange Studios, our logo designer, Tom Markovich, our sound restorer, Armand Petit, properties manager, set dresser, and official punt better, Ashley Cameron, our venue, the Wesleyan. I've been your host, David Innes. Have a splendid day! This has been a Gravy Boat production. (laughs) 